0: This stanza is called Desire as the Thing in the Way. There is a powerful reason why renunciation forms a basis and ground for genuine yogic progression. Without it, the impediments of desire proliferate and collect like puddles of rain in the monsoon. For humans, desire is ontological. It is the body we have, the state we exist in, the land we inhabit, the home we are born into. Desire is the fabric of our clothes, the grammar of our language. It is our culture, our ideology and religion. Being a genuine yogi entails leaving the natural, and finding what is beyond. There is no way to achieve this without renouncing desire. Few really understand the cost of desire, and few really understand the benefits of relinquishing it. Many are those who wish to reconcile the way of the yogi with the way of desire. But having the best of both worlds is a deep fantasy. Unless desire is put down and cleanly relinquished, it will govern, and where it governs, the way of the yogi is constantly drowned in the monsoonal puddles. At best, one can tread water. At worst, the path itself succumbs to the waters of humanity. Yet relinquishing desire is not a giving up of pleasure for the morality of temperance and moderation, nor is it an asceticism for its own sake. It is analogous to giving up gambling for a fruitful investment. The payoff is immense. When nothing is needed, The mind is freed from chasing empty phantoms and in that freedom, the possibility of bliss dawns and then abides. And Seeing that mere possibility is in itself a beautiful vision, but tasting it renders the whole paradigm deeply absurd and troubling. Because tasting true bliss, one looks back upon the human world of desire and realises that those beings grasping at their desires are all like fish on baited hooks. And those who are unfettered are like gods in the kingdom of bliss. commentary to the stanza called Desire as the Thing in the Way. So one of the hallmarks of many contemporary or new age approaches to spiritual life is to water down the ascetic tendencies of many traditional yogic or contemplative paths. So there's often a strong sense that problematizing desire is actually a form of repression and coercion maybe a form of institutional control or an unwillingness to see the positive aspects of desire in human life. And this is especially the case with sexual desire, but it applies to all other forms and expressions of it too. I think we simply want to have our cake and eat it too. Which is to say, we want to be bodhisattvas or dakinis or yogins whilst making good money and building a successful career and eating well and enjoying the many fruits of human life. But This stanza points to a devastating contradiction in that approach. Namely, that if desire is allowed to coexist with a genuine yogic path, it will govern. And if it governs, there actually isn't a genuine path in the first instance. What is happening is merely a worldly life devoted to worldly pleasures, which is indeed the way of the world. So the yogic path will itself become entirely governed by desire and then immutably subsumed by it, which means that it will cease to be a genuine path. To be on a genuine yogic path entails renunciation. That is a fact of the matter. And it's not merely a preliminary step. It is a constancy. Another fact of the matter is that renunciation is very difficult and often very unpleasant. Yet what is often missed in the relationship between desire, renunciation and yogic life are the fruits of stepping out of desire. And these are profound and deeply, intrinsically, sublimely blissful. So it's not the case that one relinquishes worldly desire in order to simply practice some repressive game of stern morality or a kind of pseudo-critique of ordinary capitalistic existence. Far from it. What is the case is that when one steps out of ordinary worldly desire, one steps into something far more sublime and potent, subtle and brilliant. So that is, relinquishing the world, one is not left with nothing. One gains immeasurable treasures. And these are not abstract or empty fantasies, they are keenly felt and quite paradoxically richly enjoyed. The child that eats lollipops and lamingtons does not know the subtlety of fine cheese and good wine. But the adult who goes beyond lollipops for fine wine knows beyond all doubt that the palate is innately more satisfied with the latter. Now, it may seem odd, or even contradictory, to deploy two different objects of desire to make the point about renunciation. But in fact, it is quite apt and right. When the yogi or yogini properly gives up worldly desire, they give up the very thing in the way of actual experiences of bliss. And if one tastes true bliss, the very coarse desires of the world are automatically extremely vulgar in comparison. So the paradigm is not give up all desire for nothing at all, or worse, give it all up for institutional coercion or dogmatic repression. It is rather give up the cheap and vulgar for the sublime and blissful.